Welcome to episode 179 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Carrying on from last week, today we're going to take a look at some more photos from the 2009 Hokkaido Workshop and Photography Tour, affectionately known as the Winter Wonderland Workshop. It's slow going as we do a lot on the trip and today we're going to get uh, through about a day and a half, um, actually a day and a, and a dawn, uh, from the second day uh, to the, like I say, just after dawn on the, sec- on the third day, sorry. We pick up the trail in the small town of Tsurui, where we spent our first night. If you've been following this podcast or my photography for a while, you'll probably know that one of my favourite shots shots from last year, and probably of all time, was shot from a bridge in the town of Tsurui on the second morning of our 2008 trip to Hokkaido. It was a magical morning. The temperature was low enough for there to be mist on the water and frost on the trees in the area where the cranes roost, mostly on the really cold nights. The temperature has to be lower than minus 15 degrees Celsius, which I think is about 5 Fahrenheit, and there has to be no wind or it blows the mist away, even if it's um, cold enough to, you know, for the mist to form. After a pretty good first day, I awoke on the 17th of February this year, hoping for cold and still weather. As we walked out from the hotel to the bus shortly before 5am, well before sunrise, I was pleased to see that there was a reasonable amount of snow had fallen. We had fresh snowfall almost every night during the trip, which was great as it keeps the landscapes white for our winter wonderland effect. The problem was this time that it was windy. There'd, um, there'd been, oh, you know, the, I, I hadn't noticed it through the night, but as we walked out to the bus, I noticed that there was a lot of wind and I, I thought, okay, that's it, there's going to be no mist. Um, but it did feel relatively cold, so we could perhaps still hope for some frost. Um, the thing is, mostly frost is caused by the, the particles in the air freezing on objects, and so if there's wind, it's probably going to blow all of that away anyway. As we drove down, drove down towards the bridge, um, there's a roadside thermometer in Tsurui that said, I think if I, if I recall, um, minus 13 degrees. It was cold, but not cold enough. So, you know, when we pulled up to the bridge and looked down towards the river, um, and this in itself is kind of futile because, you know, the, it, the sun doesn't rise for more than an hour or so. But it was pitch black down there, and, you know, but you can still see if things are all frozen, and it just wasn't. Um, you know, had the trees either side of the river been frosty, uh, we'd have been able to see it with the lights of the bus. And it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't there. We parked up anyway, uh, next to the bridge, there's a car park there. And there's actually, you know, next to the road bridge, I mentioned this last year as well, but next to the road bridge, there's a separate, uh, like a footpath bridge. And it's really just for photographers so that you can set up there and shoot the cranes in the river. Um, But, you know, we walked out there, we took our gear and had a look and, you know, it was, it was there was possible. It was a possibility that there was something to shoot, um, but as it started to get just slightly lighter, uh, we could see that there was not only no mist. There was very few cranes in the river, and it's not really surprising because they sleep here mainly when it's really cold. 
And uh, that's because the water's um, warmer than standing in snow or ice. Uh, I know that I've we'd been very lucky in 2008 to get such amazing conditions, but I just really hoped uh, to be as lucky again this year. We weren't, though. After a few minutes of wandering um, you know, up and down and sort of trying to figure out we, what to do, we returned to the bus and decided to go to a place nearby where there would be cranes, or so I thought. I'd travelled to, to this bridge every morning for five days in December 2006, and when there was nothing doing, I'd go to the same place that we went to today. And unfortunately, this morning there were no cranes there at all. We set up our cameras and waited for a little while, but there was just no sign of them. While we waited, uh, the sun rose above the hill in at the back of the Itor Crane Sanctuary, which is where we were. And that, you know, I... Obviously, I didn't want to waste that, and I shot image number 2125. I actually really like this shot. I focused on the foreground trees, allowing the ones in the back, uh, closer to the sun, to go out of focus slightly. The sun placed on the right third of the frame with the slightly thicker tree trunk running through it is, is like a pretty large disc because I was uh, shooting with the magnification of the 600mm um, I, I shot the whole or a larger view of the scene with the 70 to 200 as well. And, you know, basically the sun was starting to shine off the snow as it got a little higher. Um, but, you know, knowing the location as, as I do, I just couldn't use the shots without cranes. It just seemed so empty. Had there been a few cranes doing a courtship dance, I'd have been showing you that image right now instead. Having checked with one of the participants in the last few weeks, uh, you know, over, there's a webcam uh, at the Crane Sanctuary. We have seen cranes there at this time on, on subsequent days. So, I, you know, I just think, again, surprising, but we were just really unlucky. And it seems that um, this was probably the relatively warm weather and that had sort of, you know, sent the, the cranes elsewhere for this morning. Um, it is. It has been unseasonably warm a few for a few weeks here and there, so we were just sort of out of luck for this at this point. We had a few decisions to make uh, to maximise our photo, photo, uh, photography chances. The itinerary had us shooting cranes at this at the bridge, and if that was not uh, no good, we'd be going to the location we were at, and you know go back to for breakfast, but then go back to this same place for a morning and then go on to the Kusharo Lake to shoot the Hooper Swans in the afternoon. Without the cranes here though, or at the bridge, we felt woefully deprived of cranes. Sure, we'd had a good day the day before, but it wasn't quite enough. We decided to go back to the hotel, uh, Taito, and we ate breakfast earlier than planned, and that would give us enough time to drive back in the opposite direction to the Kusharo Lake, the opposite direction to where we were supposed to be going, back to the Akan International Crane Centre that we were at on the the, you know, the the day before. And here, you know, we'd be able, we knew there were going to be cranes. It was a 40-minute drive, uh, although this would add 40 minutes to our drive later in the day. Uh, this was okay though, we just decided that we had to get our fix of cranes before moving on. Here's the thing, for those who photograph the cranes for the first time, anything they do is beautiful. 
despite any mental preparation that you can do, when you are confronted with a field full of 160 centimetre tall birds that dance and play as beautifully as a world-class ballerina, you just get trigger happy and, you know, so much so at first that you think you're getting world-beating shots because it's just overwhelming. The truth is, though, that, you know, getting true world-beating shots of these birds takes a lot of practice and time and a good helping of luck as well. People generally get out of their first day and, you know, so excited about seeing the birds. Uh, but then when they look at, start to look at the shots or start to really think about it a little bit more objectively and scan through their images, they realise that they haven't got quite as good a, as, you know, a bunch of shots as, the, as they could have done. Um, you know, many photographers have been there and people have seen shots and you, you realise that you've, you've pretty much just shot the same sort of stuff that everyone else has, unless, of course, you get just lucky on your first day or you're not so much lucky as in, you know, spray and pray lucky, but, you know, being in the right place at the right time when something happens, it does happen and people do get great shots. But in general, I find that, you know, the excitement is overwhelming and people come away thinking that they've got better shots than they have. So, you know, apart from the fact that I could look at these birds every day for a month and not get bored of them, this is why I schedule more time uh, shooting the cranes on the second day before we move on. Everyone agreed later in the day that this was a good decision to go back to the Akan uh, Crane Centre. And that decision was made collectively as a group, by the way, as they all had become accustomed to shooting the cranes on the first day. And, um, you know, we, we sort of, we decided that it was the best thing to do as a group. And most people felt that they'd probably gotten better shots on the second day than the first to some degree. I want to take a look at one of my shots um, from that, that morning with the cranes again before we move on. And that is image number 2129. Here we see a red crown crane flying almost straight towards me. It's relatively easy to get shots of these birds from the side as they fly into the crane centre or out of it. Uh, you have to keep shooting these because sometimes you do get things that are just a little bit better than the average shot and, you know, your collection of crane shots starts then to become slightly more elevated than other people's. It's not easy, though, to get the cranes coming straight for you like this. And, I, and I'm not talking about a skill thing. I'm talking about the fact that they just don't normally fly in at this angle. I was lucky to notice a group of birds coming in at a different angle, though, and I caught this guy in this beautiful position with his wings sort of straight up, you know, at full upper stretch. I also liked the fact that there was some light snow falling at the time, meaning that I, I not only got some little specks of snow in the shot, but also, you know, the, the fact that it was snowy meant that there was no real harsh light. Uh, we'd got a, it was overcast at the time, obviously. We can see because of that some beautiful tones in the whites on the bird's body, and the focus here is actually, um, you know, not on the, uh, on the head. The head itself is a little bit soft. Um, and that kind of helps to, to really smooth out the tones on the body there. Um, what we can see, though, because of that is a beautifully pronounced tail. 
the outline of the tail and the back of the wings and the legs and everything are really, really sharp. Uh, unfortunately, you know, because like I say, the head is coming out of the depth of field slightly and I would have liked it to be a bit sharper, but I still think it's worth keeping this image in the collection. I was shooting at f5.6 for a thousandth of a second. f5.6 should have been enough for a slightly sharper head, even with the size of the, these birds. Uh, so I think that also what's happening is I'm, you know, the, the AI servo focusing has locked on on the, the back part of the bird rather than locating the head, which is, you know, not, not to be, um, it's not that difficult to, for it to do that. And so it had just sort of, it had kept there, locked in on the wrong part. Um, I think that that in itself, though, may have been a bit of luck because I really do like the, the shape that we've got here. And that's probably enhanced by the fact that the, the, the focus is at the back of the bird rather than the front. Still, you know, like I say, a little bit annoying. I would have liked a sharper head, but I really like this shot as it is and intend to keep it in the collection. So we'd had no frost or mist on at the bridge, which was disappointing. Um, you know, we figured out how to get more crane shots and everyone was happy. We left the crane center before feeding today um, because we, we planned to get over to Shadow Lake and shoot the Hooper swans. Um, you can imagine my shock when we got there and the lake was not frozen. I'll be sure to try and figure out a way to check this next year, uh, but in my mind, you know, there'd be no chance that the lake was not going to be frozen. Um, hopefully, people will um, forgive my planning on this because, you know, the, it just is, it's unheard of for it to be not frozen in February. Um, I, I, it's, I imagine it's global warming or something. Um, but it was, you know, as we drove up, we could, and we got close to the location, we could see that there was no ice on the lake. This would mean that the whole place would be different. You know, the, the location, the shooting there would be different to what we'd planned. The birds wouldn't take off in their usual flight path along a small strip of water at the edge of the lake uh, where basically they, uh, they have hot springs that flow into the lake and it stops it from freezing for a, a strip and that gives the birds somewhere to, to you know, run and slap the water with their paddles to take off. And this was to be our panning afternoon. We were going to do some panning practicing. It's one of the few places where you're you're not around a lot of other photographers, and so you can you can actually spend a little bit more time talking, and um, actually doing tuition as such, which is not that easy in most of the locations we visit. Um, and also, of course, mostly because there's just so much to shoot. But here, it's a little bit more relaxed. The tempo's better. Um, and I was really looking forward to that, but this was all sort of out of the window now. In shock, we ate at the restaurant at the lake, and I asked the waiter how long the lake had been thawed, only to be more shocked to hear that it had only frozen one morning for the whole winter this year, and that had thawed by noon. We basically decided to make most of the most of the situation, uh, which is what we do, um, you know, we, we wanted to get what photographs we could. And as we came back to the lake uh, with our gear after lunch, I noticed an elderly gentleman that I recognized. I'd spent time with him on my first winter photography tour here some five years or so ago. And I was pleased to hear that he remembered me too. Uh, that was nice. 
Um, he remembered that I dropped my memory on the on the lake uh, on the beach at that lake at that time and had to go back for it. Um, he also though told me that he'd visited this place uh, in February every year for twenty years and had never known it to be not frozen. So I was starting to feel a little bit better now. Um, you know that I, I was my expectations weren't that far out. Um, but you know. We were all, I was also starting to feel a little bit down because a few strokes of bad luck were hitting us now. In image 2137, you can see uh, that the swans were flying, uh, but you can also see that apart from a very small piece of ice in the bottom left of this shot, the lake was most positively liquid. I had stopped down my aperture to f16 with a shutter speed of 1 80th of a second in preparation for some panning shots. Ideally we'd need to go down to under a 50th of a second to get the movement in the wings of the swans, but it was, it was pretty much too bright. Uh, as you can see, uh, pointing this way, trying to get a shot, trying to make the most of the situation, I was actually pointing into the sun and it was, there was a lot of contrast in the back of the scene there. I could have gone to ISO 50 for a 40th of a second, but as the birds were not flying in their usual patterns, I was sort of, you know, I wasn't really going down that far. It seemed little point. Not giving up that easily, though, we kept shooting and got some images that were worth the effort. Another of mine from here is image number 2138, as a group of swans took flight at a different angle than usual, but that in itself made for a nice image. With the mountains there on the far side of the lake in the frame and everything, it, it worked out okay. It was cold though, and the wind was coming off the lake straight at us, uh, almost like it was slapping us in the face, rubbing in that uh, stretch of bad luck that we'd already had today, and making our eyes water to go with it. Once everyone had sort of grown tired of shooting, um, with the somewhat limited opportunities with the, thro the frozen lake, we went to the hotel a little early on this day. This in itself was not a bad thing, as they're, they're long days when we were over there in Hokkaido, when you, you're up at, um, you know, like you, ha you have to get up at 4 a.m. most days, and we're usually out of the hotel by around 5 or shortly after. The following morning was another early start, as we were to drive to the Bihoro Pass for a, a morning landscape shoot. Although the first five days of the tour are mainly world wildlife photography, we do some landscape work and this is the highlight of the landscape locations for this section, um, weather allowing of course. I was really hoping for some better luck today with the weather, as Mother Nature had dealt us a few blows in, on the second day. It was quite dark as we started the walk from the bus to the top of the mountain to look down onto the shadow lake where we'd been shooting the swans the day before. But as the sun started to brighten the sky, enough uh, to sort of walk by, of course, uh, you know, as we walked up there, you could start to see that there was, um, you know, a little bit of the, the clouds itself themselves were in the valley. Uh, over to the left, but the the up the sky above was very clear, and there was um, a a beautiful sort of crescent moon helping to light our way as well, and it was really quite a nice walk up to the the top, despite it being well below freezing. As we reached our vantage point and set up our tripods, the sun was lighting the sky up beautifully. Um, 
not a lot at the you know at first, but by the time we'd got set up, um, I decided to drop the fourteen millimeter f two point eight uh, version two lens onto the uh, the one ds, um, and I captured with that image number two one four zero. You can see the moon in this shot looking very small at this focal length, but also uh, because of the fourteen millimeter being so wide. It gives us a huge depth of field, and I stopped down to f11 here, though f8, even probably f5.6 would have been sufficient. And, you know, I basically, though, have everything from the snow in the foreground, just a few feet from the front of the lens, right down to the mountains in the distance in sharp focus. At 100% on the computer screen, you can see the reflections in the water of the line of trees on the bank of the island in the middle of the lake. And I shot this uh, with ISO 100 for 3.2 seconds. So you can tell that there was not a lot of available light yet. Notice too that I did not correct the white balance. I prefer this cold look as, you know, the, the daylight preset. This is basically just the, using the daylight preset on the camera. I rarely use, I, I'll probably easier to say I never use auto white balance. Um, and basically the you know the um you know the daylight preset was what is responsible for this um, for this blue look in across the scene uh but the, remember that this is pretty much correct for the white balance of the the warmth on the horizon um you know that's daylight right coming up there uh but it's a stark contrast to the cold blue world whose white balance was about to be corrected by the sun this image was shot at 5.49 a.m. with the sun still at uh, 29 minutes or so from the horizon. Now, I just love this shot. I don't know if I would have gotten anything better on this day, but the colour on the horizon faded relatively fast. I was pleased that we'd made it there uh, early. There was another photographer that came up. Um, I actually I spoke to them as we, as we were making our descent. Um, he was a professional from Tokyo, but he was shooting in large format. And by the time he had got his gear set up, um, the whole scene had changed. Uh, you know, five minutes from this point in time, um, the clouds that had been sitting in the valley warmed as the sun got close to the horizon and pretty much just engulfed the scene. There, you know, we were able to shoot for, like I say, about five more minutes after this. Um, and I've got another one that I think I shot with the uh, the 16 to 35 millimeter, um, which I uploaded to the website, by the way. But there, you know, there'd been it was about five minutes, and that was it. Another shot from uh, here, just as the the mist sort of parted. You know, the, it wasn't really that misty across the whole valley, but the clouds had come up over the top of the mountain that we were standing on. And sometimes it parted, it just sort of thinned out enough to get a little bit of a view of the sun. And in, during one of these short spells, I got shot number 2143. This was shot at 6.31am, 40 minutes or so after the last one that we looked at. The sun is well and truly up now. And like I say, it's occasionally burned through the cloud like this. Uh, but I did have to play with the black levels and the tone curves a little to get to even to bring out this much detail. Still, you know, I quite like it. It's a pleasing enough shot, in my opinion. Just for fun, let's look at image number 2144. 
This is the frost that had formed on my tripod in just an hour at this location. I took my watch off to try and measure the air temperature as it's got a thermometer in it, uh, but you know it's stuck at minus 7 degrees. It dropped down to that temperature pretty quickly and then just stopped, so I, I think it was just not able to record temperatures any lower. I'd say that it was probably around minus 15 though, so that, that's about 5 degrees Fahrenheit. And there was no real wind chill to factor in. So although it was relatively cold, cold enough to make this frost form pretty quickly, it remained relatively pleasant. And you know, relatively being the operative word, of course. We decided to walk back down to the hill slightly. Uh, you know, walk back, not to the hill, sorry. Walk back down the hill slightly. Um, as we knew that there were some trees there that make great shots especially when there's frost around like this and the scene over the lake was pretty much impossible to shoot now let alone improve on the shots that we'd got an hour ago of my original selection of the three shots from this morning the three shots of trees that i uploaded uh, from this morning let's take a look at image number 2146 here we can see that the hoarfrost has formed on the tree, uh, painting it a beautiful white. Um, and that's H-A, sorry, H-O-A-R, by the way. Uh, the sky also has a very pale blue tint to it here as the cloud thinned. It wasn't a clear sky. Uh, there was, it was basically very thin cloud that was making it pale. The clouds did, they sort of kept coming back in and then clearing slightly, sometimes giving us slightly deeper blues. But the light um, was changing quickly, uh, but it was, it was a beautiful light, uh, no matter what. You know, the, it was almost like shooting under a huge light box. I shot this at f8 for 1,250th of a second at ISO 100, by the way. Now, I mentioned my original selection because there was one image that I'd called out from this part of the trip that just kept haunting me. It was crying out of my two stars batch, which basically means I was once selected, but now I'm not. And, you know, the photo was there, uh, but it was a little pale. Um, and, you know, most people, most of the guys were, you know, we had to sort of make a point at that, you know, just shoot these trees and make sure that you're not blowing things out by keeping your eye on the histogram, but the detail will be there. Um, and, you know, a major a number of them just, you know, were, were very easy. They were they had more detail there than than even I thought when I was shooting them. But, you know, basically as I went through, this shot was it, it was it looked like there was a shot there, but it was a little bit pale. It was gonna take a little bit of work. Um and so I I'd basically just sort of passed it over in my original uh, you know, culling process. I knew, though, that there was something there. And, and finally, last week, uh, I decided to take the image into Photoshop and see if I could make it work. I spent a couple of hours, actually, on two images, uh, this and another one, which I, I ended up dropping anyway. Um, but, you know, for me, uh, spending an hour or so in Photoshop on an image is unheard of. I like the program, and that's why I keep upgrading. Uh, but... I just don't like spending very long on any one individual image. 
I did get the image that had been haunting me very close to what I wanted, um, but it was a little bit too dreamy for my liking, a little bit too photoshopped. Um, I decided to sleep on it as it was getting late. The following evening, I revisited the image and decided that I really didn't want to take, take it that far. And so I decided to have a go at correcting the original in Lightroom using the curves and probably helped by the fact that I'd done a lot of playing with it in Photoshop the previous night. It took me about a minute to arrive at what I posted as image number 2246. Now, I really love this shot. I'm so pleased that it kept calling back to me. I actually now can't understand why I called it in the first place, uh, because the original is not that bad. And actually, this is probably because, you know, many people are waiting to see these images when I get back from the trips. And so there's a certain amount of pressure to, to complete my selection quickly and get them posted. I probably couldn't commit the time to just do that little bit of extra processing from on my, you know, during my original selection. I actually posted the original image, um, my over, overly photoshopped, dreamy version uh, as well as, like I say, the original image and um, the, this final version in a forum post for all to see. If you're interested, I'll put a link into the show notes so you can take a look. Finally, to give you a sense of place, let's look at image number 2149. Here we can see one of the participants from, of the, you know, from the workshop making his way down from where we'd been shooting the trees. You can see the cloud in the valley to the left that I'd mentioned, and if that wasn't there, you'd be able to see the Kushado Lake down there. It's a wonderful location that I've visited many times and always look forward to revisiting. I think that this photo gives a sense of this, and it definitely helps to bring back memories of one of the best parts of this year's trip, in my opinion. And I think you also get a sense of, you know, one of the things that I keep saying why I named this the Winter Wonderland Workshop. After dawn at the Bihoro Pass, we went back down to the Kushoro Prince Hotel and had breakfast and then started our long drive over to Daosu. We did some more shooting on the way uh, into town as we'd, we'd found uh, you know, a lot of uh, white-tailed eagles and stellar eagles perched in the trees. These were more insurance shots and I didn't bring any further in my, uh, in my workflow and I doubt that anyone else did. Uh, they weren't great, but there was still no guarantee that the boat would go out the following day, which is why we'd come to the house in the first place. Uh, last year, the boat did not go out due to bad weather and the fact that the ice flow had not come far enough down from the tip of the Shiritoko Peninsula for the eagles to be able to see us out there. If the ice is far, far away, there, uh, you know, even if it's, if it's clear enough, a uh, clear day, then it's still worth going out because the eagles can see us and that means to them that there's fish. Um, but if the weather's bad and they can't see us, then it doesn't matter how far we, you know, even if the, the ice is far away and they can't see us there, they just won't come out. It's, so basically that makes it a waste of time going out. And we ended our second day 
um, it, you know, like I say, mainly a, a long drive over to Laos, but we we did a bit of shooting around the port, um, and you know, we had a, a relatively fun afternoon. And while we were there, the boat that we had um, planned to go out on came into port. So I had a, a chat with Hasegawa-san, the skipper of the boat, to see what our chances of putting out on the following day were. And it looked pretty good. They were they were putting plans in place. Um, the the plan was to drive as quickly as you know to to sail uh, as quickly as we could out to the ice flow, uh, but we weren't going to go out at dawn. Uh, we were going to go out a little bit later. We had to wait until the evening uh, weather report though to see if we could if we could actually put out and you know adjust the time as necessary. So the you know the idea was to to talk to him at 7 p.m. Uh, that's what I was looking forward to doing now as we got back to the hotel. Um, but you'll need to tune in next week uh, to find out if we went out and how that went. So do join us again next week to see how we get on. For now, you have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.